This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey guys, welcome to episode 13 of Trash Talk with TK. I am TK Tom Kelly. On today's show, we'll talk about the Flyers and Penguins playoff series ramping up on Wednesday night. It's going to be great. Great for all Flyers fans, and nothing better when, than when you're playing the Penguins. That's always fun to get people jacked up. Sixers heading toward the end of their regular season. We'll discuss that. We'll talk about the early season. Phillies drama. Gabe Kapler mania has taken hold of Philadelphia, and um, I also have to rip somebody on NFL Network for an absolute idiotic statement. That will come at the end of the show. Thanks for listening in. And let's get started now as we preview Flyers and Pens. So on Wednesday night, it'll be game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs, Flyers and Penguins. Flyers and Pens, the first game of the entire playoffs, not just their series, but the first game of the entire Stanley Cup playoffs, the feature matchup on opening night, Wednesday night. And it's exciting for hockey fans in this city. You know, this is what Flyers fans get all charged up about. The postseason, playing the Penguins. This is a fun series. As a fan who's not like I'm a I'm a Flyers fan. I've been a big Flyers fan my entire life. I love when the Flyers are in the postseason. It's it's so much fun. It's great theater, great to watch. The intensity of playoff hockey games really is in a category by itself in terms of um just how do or die everything seems. I think it's the sport that takes the biggest ramp up from the regular season to the postseason. I don't necessarily think it's the best playoffs, as a lot of people uh, subscribe to that notion. I think the best playoffs in all sports is the NFL, because I just love the nature of a true one-game-and-you're-done scenario. Series are fun. There's no doubt. Uh, hockey series, baseball series, basketball series. Going through that full, you know, week to 10-day period of a series is certainly fun to follow and see the intensity build up over time. But I like the one-game and, and done nature of football. But hockey's great because the intensity really does build up over a seven-game series. And this is a great matchup when you look at it and you get two teams that honestly do not like each other. The fans don't like each other. The coaches don't like each other. The organizations don't like each other. The players don't like each other. And when you get this kind of matchup, it is fun to watch. It is the best kind of playoff series, especially in hockey, when you get that physical play. When you have that kind of villain, as Sidney Crosby is to pretty much everybody in the NHL, but especially to Flyers fans who despise Sidney Crosby. And it's it, I'm excited for it. I'll be honest. I have probably watched less hockey this season than I have watched in like the last 10 years. I, I, I It's just been kind of difficult for me to get into it. I think part of it's because the Eagles made such a deep run and we were so invested in them for so long. 
And finally, the Sixers are back, and, you know, nobody's really watched a ton of Sixers the last four years while they're outwardly tanking, and you're watching guys that you know won't be here long term. So when when you just look at all that, your time just isn't there to follow the Flyers as closely. But I'm I'm pumped for the playoffs, and I think everybody's pumped for the playoffs. Now, I do have slight issue with the hardcore Flyers fan base. And I've said this for a long time. The hardcore Flyer fan base is unique. It's one of the most unique fan bases I've seen ever in sports. And it's certainly the most unique fan base here in Philadelphia. Extremely loyal, extremely passionate, but also extremely, extremely sensitive. And and very protective, I'd say, of their team. And there's this kind of blind, uh, it's, it's hard to explain, kind of a blind loyalty, blind confidence I hear a lot with Flyers fans and you know I've heard it already this week and you know as I said I want the Flyers to beat the Penguins so bad I would love to see them take down the Penguins and move on and give us a playoff hockey run because playoff hockey runs playoff Flyers runs are really fun to watch and fun to follow but over the past few days I've just heard this blind faith this blind confidence in the Flyers winning this series. And it's 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 not an, a problem for people to see a path to the Flyers winning this series or to believe the Flyers could win this series. That's fine. That's totally fine. And I'm not trying to damper anybody's spirits or rain on anybody's uh, parade here. But I also like to look at things objectively. And... You know, when I hear people call WIP, I, I just hear people talk to each other. I hear a lot of, oh, the Penguins swept the Flyers. The Penguins destroyed the Flyers every game they played this year. The Flyers have goaltending issues. The Flyers have, pl- fl- the Flyers have played really poorly the past three weeks. Oh, it doesn't matter. Flyers in six. They have Sidney Crosby. Oh, he stinks. Flyers in six. And that's just kind of, I don't know, kind of annoying to me. Like, I understand you wanting to believe your team can win the series, and the Flyers absolutely could win the series. Hockey. Hockey is... The the postseason in hockey is a bigger crapshoot than any other of the four major sports. Without a doubt. You get hot, you can, you know, make a run. You saw it in 2010 with the Flyers. That was not the best Flyers team of the last decade, but, hey, they got hot at the right time. They ended up being, you know, two wins away from winning the Cup. So I have no problem with people believing the Flyers can win a series, but just the blind, the blind faith, just the blind, you know, I'm going to throw every piece of evidence out the window. I'm just going to throw every piece of evidence out the window and just believe, you know, Flyers, Broad Street Bullies, Flyers in six. I just don't get that line of thinking. Now, I could be wrong. I was the same guy saying before the playoffs started for the Eagles, you know, that I like to be objective. And I thought people were, you know, kind of doing a lot of the same things with Nick Foles, just saying, oh, it'll be fine. I'll get it together. The Eagles will win a Super Bowl. 
I didn't necessarily agree with that. And hey, I look like an idiot. Hopefully I look like an idiot again. This is, a, I, you know, I've been wrong on a decent amount of things throughout my life. And I hope I'm wrong in this instance too. But when I look at this series, while I do see a path to the Flyers winning it, which is pretty much contingent on, and this is the way hockey series always go when you're the road team, and I think anybody pretty much agree with this, is the Flyers need to steal one of those first two games in Pittsburgh. That is an absolute must. If the Flyers come back here down 2-0, yeah, it's not technically over. The Flyers could conceivably still sweep at home and, and go back for a game five with the series all tied up at two. But you don't want to put yourself in that kind of back-against-the-wall situation after just two games of the series. So I think it's incredibly important that the Flyers find a way to steal one of those first two games. But when I look at the series objectively, I just look at a Flyer team who just hasn't played very well the last few weeks. And I know a lot of the players have said, we're playing well, we're playing well, we're just not getting the results we want. And hey, maybe that's true. Maybe, you know, you don't anymore have to worry about what's bit this team so much this year, which is losing in overtime, whether it's three on three, whether it's shootout. Now you just play till somebody scores. And hockey overtime is great in that in that sense. And I, I would love to see multiple overtime games in this series. But I see a Flyers team that I don't think has played great the last few weeks. You know, they've lost games that they really needed to win. I mean, this was a team that took hold of first place in this in this division a few weeks ago and looked like a, a lock to make the playoffs, and they very nearly blew it. I mean, the Flyers, they, nobody thought when they moved into first place a few weeks ago that they were going to be in a spot their last regular season game of the season on Saturday afternoon where they had to win just to make the playoffs. Nobody thought that was going to be the case. But it was because they have not played very well the past few weeks. They're coming in with the goaltender, Brian Elliott, who's only played two games in like the last few months. And what does that say about Morozik and the other guys that they felt the need to get Elliott back out there because they had such little confidence that Morozik could get the job done in the postseason. And when you put a goaltender like that with a team that hasn't played great against the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions and whether people want to admit it or not, the best player in the world in Sidney Crosby and one of the best players in the world in Evgeny Malkin and just a potent team in Pittsburgh in general, I don't think it's a great matchup for the Flyers. I really don't. I think they're. I think any of the matchups they could have gotten wouldn't have been great. I would have preferred, I guess, Boston more than any of the other teams they could have played. Don't think they match up great with Tampa. Don't think they match up great with Washington or Pittsburgh. I will say, from a viewing standpoint, from a intensity standpoint, Pittsburgh is the best opponent. I mean, this series will jack you up more than any of the other ones would have. Capitals would have from a rivalry standpoint, but not to the same um, level as Flyers-Penguins. Flyers-Penguins, you know, they hate each other. But when I look at this matchup, I just think Pittsburgh has too much playoff experience and they have too much firepower. And I know the Flyer fans who are listening are going to get mad at me. I, 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 Ricky Ricardo was on the other night. I was doing updates. I went on and kind of did, you know, something like this where I was talking about Flyers fans just having that blind, that blind confidence. And I took some heat on Twitter for it. So 
Sure, Flyers fans won't like this, but I, I hope I'm wrong. But when I look at this series, I just think Pittsburgh is the superior team, and I got to go with my gut here and say Penguins in five. As I said, the Flyers could win the series, but it's so contingent on them winning the, one of those first two games. And I think their best shot is game one. Normally, when you're the road team, game one on the road is your real good chance to go out and win that game. So Wednesday night, it'll be fun. I'm sure both teams are going to come out with a lot of intensity. I'm excited for the Flyers to be back in playoffs. Hope I'm dead wrong because if they get through this series, they could go on a series run. You get through the Penguins. You get that confidence of beating such a good team. It could get it could get them going significantly. But they need to win that series. That all starts with winning one of the first two games. Basically, Flyers need to win game one or two of this series or it is over. Now we'll move on and talk about the team that the Flyers share an arena with, the Philadelphia 76ers, as they head toward the postseason. Sixers, two games remaining in the regular season at Atlanta tonight, at home against Milwaukee on Wednesday. Ben Simmons apparently questioned, well, this is like 3.30, I'm recording this right now, on Tuesday afternoon. At this point, Ben Simmons questionable with, I guess, what is called gastroenteritis, something like that. I'm probably not pronouncing that right. But Ben Simmons, questionable for tonight's game in Atlanta. If he doesn't play, Sixers should be fine. Atlanta stinks. Um, Markel Fultz would, I'm guessing, make the start in Ben Simmons' absence. Markel Fultz has been playing a lot more lately, and those minutes coming at the expense of TJ McConnell, who barely played on Sunday against the Mavs, and... You know, you kind of feel for TJ a little bit, a guy who's, you know, worked worked his butt off and really become, you know, a leader of that bench unit on the team. It wasn't that long ago. TJ McConnell was, you know, maybe the best bench player on this team before the Sixers brought in Marco Bellinelli and Ursan Ilyasova really stabilized that second unit and given the Sixers a, a legitimate bench that they can count on. But TJ losing minutes and... You know, I understand it. I understand where Markel Fultz, you know, you took this kid number one overall in the draft. Yeah, he missed a lot of the year, but he's back now. He's played pretty well. His assist-to-turnover ratio, which is an extremely important statistic for a point guard, has been off the charts good. Being smart with the basketball, making plays, jump shots still has some work to be done, but hey, he's, he's getting to the rim. He looks pretty good out there, and I think he can make a difference in the postseason. You know, Markel Fultz has shown the ability to really come back, and he hasn't looked bad. He really hasn't looked bad, and it's been fun to watch him because I thought, uh, you know, once we got toward the final couple weeks of the season, I didn't think there was a chance Markel Fultz was coming back. I did not think there was a chance he was coming back. And he's come back, and hey, I think he surpassed a lot of people's expectations as far as how you thought he could potentially look coming back after pretty much sitting an entire season. You know, and he had a lot going on in his head. There's no doubt about it. I think everybody pretty much knows at this point, it wasn't really a shoulder thing. It was a mental thing. And whatever it is, it seems like Markel Fultz is getting over it, which is great to see. You're happy for him. You know, that's got to be brutal for a 19-year-old kid coming out of college, going into the pros, the way to be in the number one overall pick, and just, you know, to have a mental block like that where you struggle so much, so much, doing something like shooting a basketball that you've done your entire life. And for him to turn it around and play well and look like he could be a guy that can help them in the postseason is encouraging. 
But the Sixers in a spot now uh, need to win their final two games here, most likely, unless the Cavs lose to the Knicks on Wednesday night, then the Sixers only need to win one of their last two. But Sixers most likely will need to win their final two games to lock up the three seed in the postseason, which is incredibly important at this point. You know, I thought before getting the four seed was really the big thing. And then, you know, even if you get home court, which you'd still have home court being the four seed, you play Indiana, that's a decent matchup. I thought that would have been a fine spot for the Sixers to be in, but things kind of changed. It was either earlier this week or the end of last week. I I forget, but whenever the announcement was made that Kyrie Irving needed after his surgery, which was described as a minor surgery, but when you're getting knee surgery of any sort, uh, just two weeks before the playoffs, I thought it would, would have been tough for him to come back, and it was revealed Kyrie Irving will miss the next four to five months, so he'll be out for the postseason. And when that announcement kind of came about, I saw it more important to get the three seed because the way the playoffs work in the NBA is they do not reseed every round, which I disagree with that, the way the NBA does it. I think, you know, the highest seed should always play the lowest remaining seed instead of a bracket format, but they do it the bracket format. I've kind of disagreed with that, but hey, it could work to the Sixers' advantage because they get the three seed and they win the first round. Right now, as I look at the standings, the Sixers would be the three seed. If they ended up the three seed, they would play Milwaukee, which, you know, Milwaukee is a good young team, but the Sixers are better than they are. And I think that's a team the Sixers could beat in a first-round series, even if Joel Embiid's not back. I would expect Joel Embiid to be back. I don't have any sources on this or anything, but I'm just kind of, you know, spitballing here. But, you know, three weeks from his surgery, they said two to four, three weeks from his surgery, right in that middle time frame, will put him right around game four of the series. That's kind of when I expect him to get back. The Sixers can just get through... Like, three games without him. The first two being at home, I think they'll be fine. Um, You know, hopefully you're up 2-1 in the series if Joel Embiid comes back in Game 4 and you're good to go. But right now they'd play Milwaukee. They could play Miami, which is the more preferable matchup. I don't think Miami's very good. They're well-coached. Eric Spolster is one of the better coaches in the NBA. But they don't have a ton of talent on that team. You know, Goran Dragic is probably their best player. You got an old Dwayne Wade who still can hit shots at the end of games, but he's not the same player he used to be. Hassan Whiteside's a bum. He's one of the more overrated big men in the league. And they don't even play him when he goes small. So if Joel Embiid's not in, Hassan Whiteside ain't going to be on the court anyway. So uh, I I would like to get one of those matchups. But the bigger thing is I'm confident in the Sixers beating either of those teams. And they could conceivably get Washington too, even though it looks like Washington is going to end up being the eighth seed. Or the seven seed. It does not look like Washington will get up to six. But even more than the first round opponent, and this is where Kyrie Irving's injury plays into it so much, is getting the three seed is big because then that would put you in line to play Boston in the second round. And that is a great spot for the Sixers to be in. If you're the four seed and you play Indiana, if you beat Indiana, then you got to go to Toronto. Barring, you know, assuming they don't get upset. Which I don't think they will. And Toronto, yeah, they've struggled in the playoffs. They've become known as playoff chokers in a lot of ways. 
DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry, local kid, Villanova guy, is one of the, you look at statistics, one of the worst playoff players in like NBA history. I mean, his playoff numbers are so bad, but that Toronto team is good. You know, regardless of their playoff history, I'll look at the history throughout this 82-game season. They're shooting the three better than they have in past years. They're playing faster than they have in past years. DeMar DeRozan, who I thought was, you know, an above-average guy but wasn't a star. I still don't think he's a superstar in this league like Embiid and Simmons have the potential to be. But DeMar DeRozan's a really good player. He can fill it up. He can, you know, carry your team to a conference final. So... I would prefer not to play Toronto and and let Toronto and Cleveland duke it out in the second round. Because if Cleveland's fourth, Cleveland beats Indiana, then Cleveland has to go to Toronto, and that's going to be a brutal series for both those teams to have to get through each other. And the Sixers will play Boston, and without Kyrie Irving, Sixers should beat Boston. Sixers will be favored in that series that they play. Yeah, Brad, Brad Stevens, for all the jokes we make about him, Brad Stevens is a hell of a coach. And he's gonna have that team ready to go and, and they're gonna you know, they're gonna they're gonna give the Sixers all they can handle. But without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, who's missed the whole year, I just don't think Boston has the firepower to score with the Sixers. I just don't, especially over the course of a seven game series. So that's why it's so important they get the three seed. Um this game tonight with the Hawks, uh, you know, maybe a little dicey if Ben misses it. But even without Ben, even without Embiid, I still think the Sixers should be able to take care of business against Atlanta. And then a big game at home to close out the season against Milwaukee on Wednesday night. ESPN, nationally televised game. And if that's the clinch, the three seed, man, it's going to be rocking down there. Last Friday night against the Cavs was awesome. I was out at a bar for the game, and I have never seen a bar that into a Sixers game. In my life, you know? I've never seen... Uh, you know, a team or fans that into this basketball team before. And it shows how far we've come from the process and, and and where we are now. And I won't go on the whole thing about the process being right, even though everybody who was against it looks like idiots now. And the, the saddest part is they won't even admit they were wrong. And some people I truly think don't understand what the Sixers did, which is baffling to me. But... The whole thing, and we'll just go through it real quick, was about to get potentially star players. Sixers got two in Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and they are on the fast track to stardom here. And we'll, I can't wait to see this team in the playoffs. It's going to be fun, uh, but hopefully they close it out with a couple victories and end up with a three seed, play either Milwaukee or Miami, get through that series, get through Boston, and then either at Toronto or, man, could you imagine Cleveland coming back here for game one of an Eastern Conference final? It's going to be awesome. Now, hey, I think this team at this point, I expect them to go to the conference finals. I do. And hey, once you get there, who knows? Toronto and Cleveland, to beat either of those teams in a seven-game series will be an extremely difficult task. This, this team could certainly do it, I believe, in this Sixer team. But first things first. Close out the regular season. Get the three seed and focus on whoever you're going to play in the first round. And I think the Sixers are going to go deep. I really do. It's been a fun year, and I can't wait to wait to see how it all ends up. I think they'll close it out with the two games, get the three seed, and I think they're going to the Eastern Conference Finals. Can't wait for it to get going. Now we'll talk a little bit about the Phillies and... The last week that was with them and the whole, you know, Gabe Kapler mania, which is 
captured this city, positive or negative. Everybody has an opinion on Gabe Kapler. Now, I'll touch on the Phillies real quick before I have to. Uh, we'll close things out in a, in a couple minutes with a little rant I had on an extremely stupid thing that I saw said over the weekend. But first, we'll touch on the Phillies and Gabe Kapler and the week that was for this team. And, I, I you know, I think the Gabe Kapler mania is becoming absurd. You know, a lot of people are freaking out over some of the moves this guy's making, whether it's pitching changes or using bench players or shifts, and I think everybody needs to calm down. Honestly, the whole booing thing last week at the opener when he came out and took out Nick Pavetta, I thought that was funny. You know, I think a lot of people overreacted to that. I'm I, I, I'm kind of, I, I know this isn't necessarily a hot take, but I am uh, kind of in the middle right now on Gabe Kapler. I'm not really, you know, I, I like the hire. I thought it was interesting. I think it's interesting when you bring in minds that can, think outside the box, do things a little differently than everybody else does them. I, I like the idea uh, of guys doing that and thinking a little differently. I think there's there's merit in that. But some people on both sides are just going nuts over this. Just going nuts. And, and the booing thing was humorous to me because I don't even think a lot of people were doing it because they hate Gabe Kapler or, you know... They think this was a horrible hire or anything like that. I, I I think, and I saw a lot of people on Twitter like outraged on behalf of Gabe Kapler. I honestly don't think Gabe Kapler gives a damn. Like, I don't think Gabe Kapler cares about people booing him. He was laughing when he walked out to take out Pavetta and people were booing him. He gets it. I mean, it's not that big of a deal, the booing thing. I thought it was actually pretty humorous. And I think people were, thought, you know, and it's continuing now because I think people think it's funny. But the bottom line with Gabe Kapler, and this is, it's like this in any line of sports. If you win, they will love you. If you lose, they will give you crap. And they will, you know, question every move you make. And, you know, he had some bad luck on Sunday. A couple shifts didn't work the Phillies way, especially in the first inning. A couple balls dropped in on Jake Arrieta, and he ended up giving up three runs early. But uh, settled in and looked good after that. But I've seen some encouraging things from the Phillies. I really have. I think maybe the most encouraging thing to start the year is Michael Franco looks really good right now. He looks locked in, and he was my two X factors for the season on the pitching staff and in the lineup. Both performed well on Saturday night in that twenty to one win, and that was Vince Velasquez and Michael Franco. I think they're I think they're the two good guys who can really change the face of this team when you look at them and how good they can be. Because it wasn't that long ago. We were talking about Michael Franco as being one of the future faces of this franchise. And he had a couple down years, especially last year, really did not perform. But he he has closed his stance up a little bit. Looks locked in. Looks like he's seeing the ball well. Driving the ball to all fields. He's going to right a little bit. Hitting the ball deep. I mean, he, the things we've hoped to see him do uh, over the last few years. He looks like a more complete hitter. Um... And Velasquez looked good the other night. Velasquez, he just has struggles with command so much. I think I would not be surprised to see him move the bullpen at some point this year. I think they're giving this a shot the first few months. Because, hey, if he can figure it out, he's more value to you as a starter. But eventually, I do think Velasquez could be a a real dynamic relief pitcher. You know, a guy who usually struggles when going multiple innings. If you're just asking him for one... 
to come out and and you know throw heat and throw his best stuff. I think he could be very useful in that role. But I have no problem with trying him as a as a starter again to begin this year. But I've liked what I've seen. I think people overreact to the Kapler stuff. He'll settle in. He'll be fine. I like how he. I like how he works the lineup. I like how he moves everybody around. I don't. I know people are upset about Kingery playing all over the place. That's fine with me. You know, right now you have a lot of guys on the roster. Cesar Hernandez is the starting second baseman and has earned that role. I mean, Cesar Hernandez is doing a nice job. I think it's useful to have a guy like Kingery that can play literally everywhere, play everywhere on the diamond. And that is that is a real asset to have a guy like that. And Kingery hit his first home run last night. He's looked good. Reese Hoskins looks great as usual. He homered last night in the 6-5 win. Nick Williams, who had some comments I thought were, were stupid, but he owned up to them. And, hey, Nick Williams, hey, you're going to earn playing time if you hit. And Nick Williams hit a game-winning homer last night against the Reds. That was a, that was a big hit. And, hey, he's going to earn playing time with his actions and with his work ethic. You know, he's talking about, hey, if I'm not playing, I'm going to be up playing video games. All right, you're not going to play. But if he's willing to put in the work, and he has more pinch hitting appearances like that, where he steps in, hits a homer, wins you a game. I bet you Nick Williams is probably in the starting lineup, you know, tonight. I don't know if a lefty's on the mound for the Reds, but Nick Williams will play more. I like how deep this thing, how they have too many guys right now, that it's not the same guys playing every day. Because you pretty much have 10 guys for eight starting spots right now on the diamond. But I like what I've seen. The, the one guy who struggled is J.P. Crawford. And I'm not overly concerned yet. Yeah, one for 23 to start the year is certainly not what you want. But this has been J.P. Crawford's kind of MO at every level. Every time he's promoted, he starts slow, struggles, and then picks it up. And it might just be the same way to start this season, you know? Once he figures it out, he starts hitting and he can get on base. And and I still think he can be a 270, 280 hitter for you. And being having a guy like that in your 7 or 8 hole is, a, you know, a very useful thing. And he's still very young. People got to remember that. And this is when people talk about they shouldn't have traded Freddie Galvis. Give me a break. Freddie Galvis couldn't hit. Freddie Galvis had no upside. He couldn't hit. He didn't get on base. He was a good defensive player. J.P. Crawford's a good defensive player, too. I'd rather go with the guy who's got some upside than sticking with Freddie Galvis blocking J.P. Crawford. I mean, give me a break. You have Crawford and Kingery when Crawford doesn't play. So give me a break, the Freddie Galvis truthers. Freddie Galvis stinks. He really does. He's a nice defensive player, but other than that, he doesn't do much. Stop with the, you know, the Phillies shouldn't have traded Freddie Galvis stuff. That's a little ridiculous, but... That's what I've seen from, from the Phil so far. A little up, a little down, but I think they're going to be fine. The bullpen, I do think, is a little overrated. I think we all overrated them coming into this year. But, you know, we'll see how it all pans out. I still don't trust guys like Morgan or Neris. You know, I need to see them do it a little longer. But once you get Tommy Hunter back, once you get Neshek back, uh, the bullpen should be solidified. But I think the Phillies are going to be all right. I like what I've seen so far. First couple games... Obviously, didn't go great with Kapler and some of the questionable moves he made. But since they've come home here, yeah, they're playing the Marlins and the Reds. They won three of four. They look to be getting on the right track. So I'm not overly concerned with the Phillies yet. And now to close things out, I got to just address before we wrap up episode 13 here. Some idiotic thing that I saw over the weekend. If you've listened to me either on this podcast or on 
94 WIP. The one thing you know about me is there are two people in sports that I despise. Chip Kelly and Sam Bradford. Chip because he's a jerk and Bradford just because I hated everything he represented coming to the Eagles. He represented the worst of Chip of the Chip Kelly era and he just was one of the most unenjoyable players I've ever watched. Like Sam Bradford, there may not have ever been a least a less fun Eagle or less fun player I've ever seen. And going from watching Sam Bradford every week to watching Carson Wentz every week is such a dramatic change because watching Carson Wentz is, is an absolute pleasure. But I saw on Good Morning Football on NFL Network, Peter Schrager, an NFL writer who's on their Good Morning Football show, said when he's at his best, Sam Bradford may be the best pure passer in the NFL. I mean, I don't even know what to say about that. Peter Schrager should be fired immediately. He should be taken off television immediately. He should not be able to analyze another quarterback, another football game. He should not be able to talk football in a bar. That's how idiotic a statement that is. Sam Bradford is mediocre at best. And I don't even think he's mediocre. I think he's a below average quarterback. I've said before, I think he's the biggest thief in the history of sports. The way he has conned organizations into paying him money, I mean, it shows you how dumb executives are around the NFL and coaches are around the NFL. The fact that the Arizona Cardinals are still willing to pay this this guy $20 million to come in and play quarterback for them is beyond infuriating. And it's insane to me. They should be thrown in an insane, insane asylum for giving Sam Bradford $20 million. But for this guy to say, best pure passer in the end, what about Drew Brees? What about Tom Brady? What about Carson Wentz? What about Aaron Rodgers? Sam friggin' Bradford? How absurd is that? Why do people think Sam Bradford is good? I don't understand it. Why do people think Sam Bradford is good? Why do people think he's any good? He stinks. He's awful. He's never won anything. He's never won anything in the NFL. I'm banging the desk. I'm so annoyed. He has never been better than 8-8 eight eight in the NFL. Why do people think he's any good? He's never made a Pro Bowl in the NFL. Why do people think he's any good? I don't understand. He can't stay healthy, and when he is healthy, he's not good. He is a below-average quarterback. And why organizations continue to be conned by this guy, continue to think he's a good quarterback or he's got potential, is ridiculous. And that was that comment just drove me nuts, and I had to get it out of my system before we wrapped up the, the podcast today. I'll talk more about that on my show over the weekend. I'm actually on twice this weekend. Um, I'll be on Saturday into Sunday overnight on 94 WIP, uh, and that'll be after game one of the Sixers. They'll play Saturday, so we'll uh, recap all that, game one of the Sixers, uh, and we'll preview game three of the Flyers-Penguin series, which will be Sunday afternoon at the Wells Fargo Center. And then I'm on once again Sunday evening into Monday morning, Sunday overnight into Monday morning. Uh, and that'll be after game three of Flyers-Pens, the first home game of that series. And I'm guessing game two of the Sixers will be that night, Monday night, either Monday or Tuesday night. Sixers will be playing game two. So... We will have a lot of Sixers, a lot of Flyers talk on my two shows on 94 WIP this weekend. Please tune in. 
we'll have a good time and we'll talk a lot about uh we'll talk a lot about that and we'll we'll also touch on how bad Sam Bradford is. My favorite to- topic to uh talk about in sports. Thank you for listening to episode 13 of Trash Talk with TK. I'll talk to you guys next time. See you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.